Live from Seville, this is The Twilight Show with Harry Waters, and you are listening live. Hello everybody, welcome. We are live. Um, Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Um, I completely forgot my catchphrase then. Is that a catchphrase? I guess that counts as a catchphrase, as I say it all the time. I hope you liked my new intro music um, and the new... Uh, rugged sounding. Welcome to Harry Waters Twilight Show. Sounded pretty cool to me. Teachers Talk there you Radio. go. Um, so, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, I hope you are all well. What has happened since last week? Well, I've been, well, I had a great class today. I had a great class with some, so the, my young'uns today. It was a, a super fun class. It was very active, lots of jumping around, which is, always the key to to a fun class um and so that was really good and other than that i've been i've been busy on a few projects as i mentioned last week um it's been kind of kind of crazy and you know when you have those days or those weeks when things don't you don't really quite do enough well i've had one of those it's i haven't really done quite enough yet this week. I can see that my my guest has just joined us in the studio, which is is lovely. Uh, I can also see him on Zoom, which is, you know, my pleasure and, and you know, fantastic. I am I am going to put him on mute just for now before we head off uh, for the news and stuff, just in case he, he does a really loud sneeze or something like that and, and interrupts this incredibly important start to the show. So I will put him on mute, but I am going to say, because I didn't tell him beforehand, when we come back from the news and I bring him in, he will have to unmute himself uh, because for some reason, the radio platform doesn't let us unmute people. But who knows why? I don't know why. Nobody knows why. But that was my discreet way of telling him that that's what he needed to do. And I was very discreet in doing it. I'm sure you you understand. So as I mentioned, I'm working on a few projects at the moment. Um, uh, I'm working on one which is a a training course for um, the British Council, which is a lot of fun, uh, really interesting, something I'm you know, really keen on, but it's a lot of work and I'm finding it really hard to motivate myself for that one. Um, I'm also working on, a, on an activity book uh, along with some great, superb adventures that I'm working on. I'm so excited about, um, really, really, really well, super fun to be honest. I actually just got a message from the person um, the person who I'm working with on that, and I'll uh, so I'm going to close LinkedIn so it stops interrupting me. Um, because do you know what, me and concentration don't have the greatest relationship. Um, I, I'm not the best when it comes to concentrating on two things at once, so I'm going to close everything else down. Um, and oh, some very exciting news for you today. It's raining here in Seville. It's actually raining. Now, I don't remember the last time. We've had sort of 15, 20 minutes of rain about five times in the last maybe since April. We've had a few minutes of rain, but today it actually really properly rained right before our volunteer classes. So at the moment that the kids got here, they, they traipsed through the house and and brought as much mud with them as they could. So luckily, I've been incredibly lazy recently, and I haven't actually cleaned anything. So now I can clean tomorrow, 
um, with a fresh conscience um, that I'm cleaning up the mess that was created from our class. And we've got a student, I'm not going to name names, his name's Juan. Um, I don't know what happens with Juan. He's a lovely boy, he's wonderful, um, tries really, really hard, he's always got his hand up and he's always trying his best. But I don't know how he does it, but every single class he manages to empty his pencil sharpenings on the floor. He doesn't even take his pencil sharpener out of his bag, but it's somehow underneath his chair there's always pencil shaving. So anyway, that is that. Um, I'll be back in about a couple of minutes. We're just going to shoot off for the news. Um, and then we're going to introduce our wonderful guest who is waiting patiently um, on the other side. Um, and we'll hear from him very, very soon. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Christian Institute website reports that MPs have backed a push to ensure that state schools in England uphold the legal requirement to teach religious education, which in most cases reflects the centrality of Christianity. MP Martin Vickers led a Westminster debate on the issue and drew attention to the National Association of Teachers of RE on the Department for Education 2021 School Workforce Census. The census revealed that one in five schools did not teach RE at all in year 11, despite being required to do so by law. An average of 10% of schools gave no time to RE in the years 7, 8 or 9. MP Nick Fletcher said that without an understanding of Christianity, it is not possible to understand the foundations of our institutions and laws or British culture. He went on to outline that other religions should be properly recognised in the preparation of RE syllabus, but that RE needs to recognise the particular place of Christianity in Great Britain. Mr Fletcher cited other demands placed on schools and failures by Ofsted to hold schools to account as the reason for letting RE slip. In response, Nick Gibb, a minister in the DfE, said all mainstream state-funded schools are required to teach RE. Schools that are not are acting unlawfully or are in breach of their funding agreement. He also added that collective worship was an important part of school life. 
Mr Gibb further reiterated the government's commitment to mandatory collective worship and RA, but also a parent's right to withdraw their children from the subject. Earlier this year, a judge ruled that exclusively Christian RE lessons in Northern Irish primary schools is unlawful after a legal challenge was launched. The decision was, is being appealed as it dismissed the parents' right to withdraw their child from these lessons. In Lincoln, the Investigate Learning team at Lincoln Castle have been recognised for the outstanding learning programme they offer schools, colleges and universities. The Sandford Award recognises museums, galleries and historic buildings that offer the very best programmes aligned with a national curriculum. This year, the castle has welcomed around 8,000 pupils and students, teaching them about the medieval monument's history. The Sandford Awards lead assessor described the insight the programme offers as unique and compelling. The programme covers a series of locally and nationally significant history, ranging from the medieval world and Magna Carta to the treatment of prisoners in Victorian England, bringing it vividly to life in a way that resonates with learners. In a recent news report on Teachers Talk Radio, we covered the Global World Skills Competition, which is taking place in various countries across the globe. This past week, the UK was hosting for the first time in over 10 years. Competitors have travelled from around the world to compete in aircraft maintenance and manufacturing in Cardiff and Wrexham. Finalists had the opportunity to visit various places of interest in the local areas, including countryside, museums and an old coal mine. These young competitors have been training for the last three years to win medals and showing off their skills. The UK entrants feature homegrown Welsh talent with George Denman from Swansea telling FE Week how he hopes competing in world skills will be a huge boost to his career because it teaches key skills like coping under pressure, working as a team and time management. Finally, new research reveals the impact of accent on social mobility. The latest report from Accent Bias in Britain project, led by Queen Mary University London's Professor Debiana Sharma, reveals that more than a quarter of senior professionals from working class backgrounds have been singled out in the workplace for their accent. The project examines the impact that someone's accent has on their journey through education and into the workplace. Professor Sharma says the research shows that accent-based discrimination actively disadvantages certain groups at key points. This creates a negative cycle reinforcing anxiety and marginalisation. The report recommends that action should be taken to diversify the workplace to ensure a range of accents is prevalent in organisations. Further details of the report can be found on the Queen Mary University of London website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. We are back. Um, and I'm going to ask Ed to unmute himself, um, if that's possible, so I can, so we can bring him in and say hello. So my guest today is Ed Moore, who is an award-winning eco um, ambassador. He's, he's a primary teacher and also a generally all-round great guy. So hi there, Ed. Hi, Harry. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Now, before we get into your your journey um, to where you are and, and how you've got there, I just want to pick up on something on the news there that has left me bewildered, uh, we might say, and that was the, the part about RE. Now, I understand that, you know, there is a need to teach RE in schools. I think there's it, it's wonderful that there should be religion taught and it should be, you know, almost like a history, as it were, you know, learning about all of the different religions there are, so then you can choose your favourite or, or or not choose any. But, you know, this 
this idea that it, there has to be the central theme of Christianity to understand the, the UK. And it's, it's really upsetting because it's something we have here in Spain in religion classes. It's Catholicism. And you have the option to take your kid out of it absolutely 100%. But I, I don't know. What's your opinion on RE being absolutely a legal requirement? Uh, I think it's important, uh, you know, for, for children and young people to understand uh, diversity, to understand, you know, what their religion might be. Um, I, you know, I, I think if we teach them different religions, uh, you know, then they have an opportunity to choose what they feel is the right religion for them, um, rather than, you know, uh, always teaching them about Christianity. It's nice to know about other religions uh, that are out there and uh, that they can experience and, you know, and also experience from other other children in their class. Because, you know, in our school, we've got different, uh, we've got different religions, different um, ethnicities, uh, children from from different countries, and they, you know, and it's nice to you know to understand their, you know, their, their way of life and you know um, their way of life and how they you know go about you know uh, celebrating different festivals um, yeah. within their families. It's it's brilliant. I remember when I was at school, I went to a school that was it was about sixty percent Bangladeshi. So we we did a lot around kind of Diwali and stuff like that, and it was just wonderful. And I loved this. I loved that like style of RE and, and learning about all these different wonderful celebrations and stuff like that. And I think it is super important. Um, I think it's bizarre that it's a legal requirement, though, when sustainability is something that <laughs> kind of, you know, is left to the either the individual teacher or the individual school. Now, I know that, that you and where you work um, are, well, I'm just, I'm just going to say it, you're brilliant. Okay. You're, you're brilliant. You're, you are doing what needs to be done. So if you wouldn't mind, can you tell us how you've got to where you are? Yeah, of course. So my journey started 10 years ago. Um, uh, I, I did my teach training. Um, before that, uh, I did a degree in sports science. Um, and, and went, uh, been traveling around Australia and realized, um, got a bit bored and uh, ended up in a ended up in Perth, Australia, and uh, volunteered there in, in a primary school. Um, and then I realised that I wanted to be become a teacher, so I did my training. And then and then I um, uh, I did my training, and then uh, I got this job where I am now. Um, and I. Going in straight away, I thought there's great opportunity here. I've got an amazing outside area, but children didn't know anything about the environment. They didn't know where the food came from. They thought it came from the supermarket. And I thought there was a really great opportunity to try and teach our children about how they can look after their their world and make it a better place for themselves and for and for the next generation coming up. Exactly. It's uh it's something that I don't know. It feels almost like a responsibility as a as a teacher, as a parent myself as well. That it's that connecting with nature and that connecting with with the earth, as it were, is is such an important first step when it comes to sustainability and and that idea of where food comes from. It's it, it is just the auto thought is it's from the supermarket, you know, and even 
you know, you can sometimes get down to the different animals and, and, you know, particularly primary kids, they'll understand it and they'll look at it and they'll think, okay, well, the beef burger, well, that's obviously come from a cow. Um, but until they actually like visualize it and see it, there's the link just isn't really there, is it? No, it's not. No, they, they just don't have a clue. Um, they don't, you know, they don't understand that there are different varieties of carrots, different colors of carrots. Uh, there's different varieties of courgettes, uh, onions, um, all the way across the board, all across the vegetables and fruits and everything. Uh, there's different colors and different varieties. And the children just, you know, I think they're mesmerized now that, you know, that you can, you can get more than an orange carrot. You can get a yeah. purple one, a cream one, you know. Oh, I, I love I love showing students, um, particularly also purple potatoes. I think that was the my first trip into to purpleness about twenty years ago. One day, my 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 dad and I we made a purple dinner. And, you know, just everything was purple. It was at the time when I was eating meat as well, so it was just some very undercooked lamb as well. But um, but everything was purple. You know, there were purple beans, purple carrots, purple potatoes. All of these, like obviously the beetroot, but you know. That's just naturally purple. Um, but yeah, when you sort of show this to, to your students, when you show these purple things or these these different things, students just kind of, I don't know, that the amazement on their faces is just, well, it's incredible. Yeah, it's just like a wow moment. And, and they get so inspired by growing at school that then the real magic comes when they take it home, into their homes, into their community, and they start growing. Uh, these vegetables at home and they start cooking with it and they start bringing in like what they've made and they say hey Mr Moore do you fancy trying my, my fruit crumble that I made at the weekend and you know you're sort of like sorted out for meals for the rest of your lunch time so that week because the kids are just like feeding you with all the things they've grown and then cooked with their parents which is fantastic. Oh it's so good I mean we so at my daughter's school there's there's an allotment it's not a big allotment um, but there's enough for for each class to like plant a row basically. Um, and last year, my daughter's class planted the, the lettuce, which was absolutely brilliant because it, it meant that, you know, the kids could then go home with, with their lettuce that they'd obviously grown. They could turn it into a salad. They all took pictures of the salads that they had. There was a competition to see who could get the most colors in the salad, but then they could, they could propagate and regrow the lettuce from there. So, there were only a couple of them that did it but you know it's it's not actually that easy to grow things in quite a few places here you know there's there's not many gardens and stuff so it's but it was great to see the the kind of instant passion for it because it's not easy to get kids eating vegetables no it's not no they don't want that you know they've already eat sweets and um unhealthy things to start with um and you know to try and I think a good way in, you know, is is getting them growing, is getting them understanding where their food comes from um, and having to go themselves, being hands on. Um, and then they're more likely to, to have, have a try. I remember I remember a child last summer um, who hadn't uh, he hadn't ever tried peppers before. And call that blew his mind that there was a red one, a yellow one and a green one. And that all three tastes slightly different sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it, it's things like that, isn't it? Like... Yeah, and and it is incredible. Now that there is one of the the things that I, I often get people asking me when I, when I talk about that and talking about going out and growing things, and 
and, and parents ask me and teachers ask me, but, but how do you assess that? And it's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't assess that because that's not it. Not everything needs to be examined. Not everything needs to be assessed. So I just like to see people connecting with the earth and trying new things. Yeah, I totally agree. And children get so much from just going outside, experiencing nature, learning about the garden, then uh, the beasts, the birds around them. Um, you know, it brings some children really out of themselves. You know, there's, there's quiet children that don't say anything. They suddenly then find their place and in the world. They've realized that, you know, nature and the environment is what their passion is. And that's fantastic. Yeah. It, it, and, and even those who, who maybe aren't necessarily suddenly passionate about it, the, the others, the kind of the hangers on, as it were, um, it still kind of awakens things within them that, okay, maybe they're not going to go out. They're not going to want to become change makers in the world, but the difference they do make won't be a negative one. You know, they won't have a negative impact on the planet. You know, the amount of, of students that I've seen that have at least significantly reduced their animal intake since learning about, you know, the, the damage basically that's caused by agriculture is, is phenomenal. And it's not, you know, make everybody a militant vegan because, not everybody wants to be a militant vegan and that's fine. I can understand that, you know, you can you know, eat meat if you want to, but the amount of people that realize and kind of think, okay, maybe I'm just not going to eat beef anymore. Um, and here in, in Spain, we've, we're in the middle of a drought as we often are. Um, as I mentioned, it did rain today. So everyone's probably going to think, yeah, it's solved now. Um, but the, you know, the, the advice is always the same, the same, the typical advice. And this is something that has really irked me recently. And it's, you know, turn off your tap when you brush your teeth. Don't use your hose pipe. Um, you know, those kind of take shorter showers, those kind of things, which good advice. Don't get me wrong. I think these are things that absolutely everybody should do. But when you look at, okay, if you eat a beef burger, that's going to use... 2,400 litres of water to get that beef burger on your table. When you brush your teeth, it's what, about 15 litres. So, you know, there's quite a huge difference there. You know, that's about six months worth of teeth brushing to one beef burger. But the advice is always the same. And it's always like on the individual to, to reduce that. And I think that what I like to do myself, and I'm sure you're very similar, that when you have these, these ideas with your students, these these eco moments, it, it awakens that mindset within them. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it really uh, pushes home to to children and young people. You know, li little. You know that if they just take little steps, you know that makes a big difference. Making one, you know, one change within their life, whether that is giving up up beef, you know, but they're still eating chicken. Um, you know, uh, that, that still makes a difference on their carbon footprint, which then helps, you know, climate change that we're seeing all around us. You know, you've got, you know, you've got a drought problem. Um, Sydney, you know, they've got a rain problem. I think they've had 170 days of rain this year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, they've had more rain than Cardiff, would you believe? Uh, so yeah, well, my, my brother lives in Australia and, and I saw him recently and, and he said that, yeah, they'd had two and a half meters of rain this year. And it's just like, an amount that you can't even fathom, especially considering three years ago they were 
in the midst of massive forest fires. You know, it's suddenly you see, you know, climate change is, is very obviously happening, you know. It's, and if we can do those small things, then it will make a massive difference eventually. Um, and changing our students' mindsets is is super important. Now, I'd like to ask you, I've seen um, that you are a national award-winning eco-coordinator. Okay, sorry, I, I had to bring it up. You know, there's if, if I've got an award winner here, I'm going to... I'd like you to talk about that award, if possible. Okay. Um, yeah, there, yeah there, there, there are many. Um, so... Uh, we, we've won, um, I've led my school to um, Plastic Free Schools Champion, Surf Against Sewage, um, Jane Goodall Roots and Shoots, uh, Educational Institution of the Year, and Eco Schools, Primary Eco School of the Year. Um, uh, huge accolades, um, um, amazing achievements by, by, by myself and the school, you know, without the children, leading these uh, initiatives these campaigns then you know these wars wouldn't have happened um uh yeah so the first one sort of against sewage um we we wanted to make school single use plastic free and we're pretty much nearly there um you know children wrote letters to, to the businesses that we work with uh, asking to re remove or reduce their single use plastic we work with the parents to to um reduce the, the plastic within their lunch boxes so we had a waste-free lunch box uh all the all the children within our school got a reusable water bottle um and then the staff uh got a reusable cup and water bottle too um and then it went even further because then after helping the school they wanted to to make um they wanted to make the, the town single-use plastic free and they they gave up their weekends after school school holidays to go around all these businesses giving little pitches to say look you need to be giving up this single-use plastic for xyz and will you remove your your, your single-use plastic or final alternative and i think to this date we've got about 102 businesses signed up and there's just under 300 uh so they're doing they're doing quite well they're doing they're, they're doing good very well that's pretty good. Now, what I love that you said there, um, and it's absolutely key to to any green leader, as it were, and this is that it's student-led. Yes, you're there. You're there to help. You're there to guide, of course. You know, these are kids. You know, they don't know everything. But it is them going out there and, and doing the work. Now, I've I've been a part of Kids Against Plastic, which is a, a charity that I'm, I'm sure you've heard of um, in the UK. My, my daughter's a member of the of the club. Uh, I'm a trustee for the charity and watching these incredible humans, these young people from across the world, starting these initiatives in their schools and so on, because it's it's rare that a school would have, you know, a leader like yourself to be there, to push that change, to be the, the guiding light within the school to kind of help people get there. And and what I've seen from these these people is it's the students that are out there that are doing that, that are trying to be the leaders. And what we need as teachers are more people like yourself to be there, to be the guide, to, you know, to, to provide support. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, part, part of the problem I feel that it's, 
it's like in England, it's like a token gesture. You're your eco coordinator and you're, it's a token gesture. You're not giving any time. You're not giving any extra money. Um, but it's really important, you know, that, uh, the government's brought out this strategy in April that, you know, all schools need to be zero carbon by 2030. They need to be single-use plastic-free by 2025, even though they said, you know, a few years ago it had to be 2022, but we'll shift it on yeah. three more years to 2025. Why not? It probably shifted on another three years as well because actually probably. there's no there's no help, there's no support. Uh, but it's really important, you know, it's really important that, that all schools will be doing this. And if it is really important, then schools need to have the money they need to have the funding to do it they need to they need to have an eco lead that is uh, rewarded for what they do they need to have time to do it and there needs to be initiatives like you know like kids against plastic great girls amy and ella meek you know they've got a, a great platform and they've got a great um program in uh plastic clever schools why isn't that then used by the government to say look this is this is a this is a fantastic program. It will help schools become single-use plastic-free, and we're going to join forces with Kids Plastic, and we want every school to to lead and run through this program. And you can become a part of Cat Club and 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 the rest of the, all the things that they do. Um, surely, you know, something like that would then entice and inspire schools to then to think, wow, we've got fantastic resources. Why don't we just do this? Exactly that. Um, and it's baffling because they, they met with the education minister last year. So there's no knowing who that was, actually, because that changes every <laughs> seven minutes at the moment, doesn't it? So um, and yeah, they actually met with them and, and they said, you know, you said that we needed to be plastic free by 2022. It's like, well, it wasn't actually me that said that. Of course, it was somebody else who said that. So um, that whole shift, like passing the buck thing is it's it's remarkable. It's incredible that the I don't know the arrogance that they have to set these targets and then not provide any support. And and I love what you say there, the the plastic clever schools thing. It is it's such a wonderful resource that I have actually uh I have actually adapted into an ELT version as well. So for any schools listening abroad, you can take part yourself as well. Um, it's uh, it, it is available uh, for anybody uh, across the globe to do it. Uh, I've seen that Hamed is here. So hi there, Hamed. I've just I've only just noticed you that uh, I've only just looked at the Podbean platform. Uh, Hamed's a future guest uh, as well there. Sorry. So yeah, as you mentioned, why isn't why aren't these these ideas getting the support from the government? If the government are the people out there saying this needs to be done, but then I mean, what governmental training did you receive to for your position? Out of curiosity, um, nothing. I literally taught. I literally taught it myself. I literally taught it to myself on the job. I've, I've, I've hardly had any, you know, training, gone to any workshops, any conferences. I've literally just learned it on the job on, through the 10 years that I've been doing this. I've, yeah. And now you help other people. Now, I, I came across, I think I came across you on LinkedIn. I, I probably came across you on LinkedIn. Um, and you provide such wonderful content on there. It's amazing. Anybody who is listening, definitely jump in and, and follow or connect with Ed because the amount of like brilliant articles that, that he's posted and, and shared and just ideas that he comes up with are just they're just spectacular to be honest, mate. They're they're really good. I think I'll probably read 
one thing that you post maybe every other day. You're definitely very high on my feed. Like the algorithm knows that I like you. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's high up there. Um, so yeah, how can people, how else can people see you or follow you? Is there anywhere else that you can be followed? Um, yeah, so I've started doing some some uh, sort of podcasts um, called uh, Get to Net Zero with Ed Moore. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, and I'm doing that with uh, a company uh, called uh, Learn Learn to Play Nexus. Uh, they, they invented the first uh, the first uh, refill glue skit, stick. They uh, did. First... I was trying to speak to them to get them to come and do a, a talk on the on the show. Brilliant! Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I'll 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 get yeah yeah I'll get I'll I'll uh, I'll introduce you. I'll uh, yeah I'll sort it out. Don't worry about okay. that. I've, I, got, I was introduced through Kids Against Plastic and we were going to do a giveaway at the start of the year. And then, you know how things happen. I spoke to one person and then another person and then I kind of semi forgot about it. So um, I now need to remember that. That's a brilliant reminder. Um, those glue sticks are so cool, by the way. Like, what a brilliant idea. Yeah, just absolutely genius. Uh, and the fact that they actually work as well. They actually... Uh, they actually stick. They stick the first time, not the third time. Uh, there's no glumps and bumps. They glide on the page. There's three different glue sticks that you can have. Uh, you can have the uh, the clear stick, which actually sticks anything, like leaves and you know your wood and everything together. It's unreal. Um, and then you got uh, uh, you got your clear stick. Uh, you got your quick stick, uh, which is you know, like your white stick, uh, which is really good and then you've got your blue stick for your young you know your three four five year olds that they don't know how much to put on but then it dries clear sort of thing um oh, that's cool. and then and then with the container that comes in the refill you you can send that back to them or you can reuse it in your classroom sort of thing um and i think what's what what the worry is for the the schools that you know i sort of try and speak to is that oh it's really expensive and okay it's a little bit more expensive but my uh, the the students in my school they worked out that uh, for every for every uh, ufill stick you're probably using two or three not so good sticks. Uh, yeah. So you so by doing that you're you're saving money there. You're saving about 50, 60 pence. Um, you know UK money um, per glue stick. So it's a win win, and you're and you're saving the environment as well because it's not because yeah, they... it's you know it's not going to landfill because. My last point on this is that there's some there's lots of manufactured glue sticks, so they're saying that that uh, that uh, their glue sticks be recycled and they can't. Um, we've done a bit of a bit of a survey at my school and we phoned up some county councils and they said, "Don't do it, Mr. Moore. Just don't do it. You're you're contaminating the recycle system, which means then that that whole lot that would have been recycled this literally gets incinerated or goes to landfill." So. All those naughty, naughty glue sticks out there, you're greenwashing. You're not telling yeah. the truth. Yeah, I mean, I bet that there's there's a part of it that could probably be um, recycled if it was thoroughly cleaned and placed, you know. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, um, it's, it, it drives me absolutely bananas, the, the amount of greenwashing out there. Now, I want to switch over to that now. Um, but you do it before in a moment. But first, your podcast that you do with with Nexus Play Learn, right? And it's available. It's called uh, Get to Net Zero with Ed Moore, uh, and we can find it over on Facebook. Am I right? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, every every month. Well, we did one, we did one yesterday, but yeah, every month we'll do a different topic. And you know, if you want to, if you want to suggest what we do, then yeah, please just get in contact, and um, you know, we'll we'll make sure we fill um, fill your area for you. Amazing. Now, I want to talk about greenwashing. Um, it's for me, it's one of the best topics to do with students. Um, I know that certainly with my daughter and, and you know, particularly with slightly older students, maybe higher up um, primary, maybe like the last couple of years of primary, it's a bit easier. Um, but I like to just spot the greenwashing. The problem is it's just a bit too easy now because almost everything we see has, you know, you'll walk past Primark, for example, um, not to name names, but, you know, Primark are awful um, <laughs> or any other fast food outlet. And, and it will be plastered everywhere that, you know, they are saving the planet or they're using something sustainable or they're using recycled this or they're using. And it's to, to you or me, it's very obvious greenwashing to a lot of other people. But how can we make it obvious to our students that this is greenwashing? Yeah, I, th I think it just needs to be taught. I think, it, you know, we need to be honest with them, giving examples. You know, Primar is a is a classic example. H&M as well. They're, you know, I think they got fined for for for, uh, for their adverts that they, they've been putting out uh, about sustain, uh, how sustainable their clothes are. Um, yeah, I think it needs to be taught. It, um, it needs to be taught, uh, you know, in, in the classroom. Uh, about you know all these labels that are that are greenwashing and and really simplify it of of what they need to be doing what could they do to help you know stop the greenwashing um you know for for example you know just don't buy don't buy from these stores you know buy second hand there's some great you know there's some great uh, initiatives online that you can you know buy your second hand clothes from or charity shops now you know charity everyone's you know i think since covid it's gone up it's been more popular to, to buy second hand yeah and also you know with cost of living it's it's cheaper now there's there's something else with now with a lot of the schools here so all state schools here um there's no uniform requirement so if you go to a state school you wear what you want Brilliant. You know, my daughter's wearing trousers that are up to her knees now because we need to get some new ones. But anyway, children grow too fast. I need a campaign to stop children growing so fast. Um, but in the private schools here, like one of the, the big parts of their business is the uniform. You know, so they they don't want people to be recycling and sharing and reusing the uniform because you know, one of their huge incomes is people coming in and buying uniforms. Now, to me, it's just disgusting that if you go to a private school here and you want to have a secondhand uniform, it all has to be done, you know, really surreptitiously, like, you know, like you're doing something illegal, you know, it's, oh, no, I'm, I'm getting secondhand clothes here. And then like in Spain as well, there's this, it's slowly changing, but there's a real stigma attached to secondhand clothes, like, oh, they're dirty come on mate i'm not i'm not going to buy secondhand pants you know i do have a limit you know I, I won't buy secondhand pants i just won't wear pants um but i don't understand where it's come from and from what i can see in the uk 
the stigma isn't really there as much. It's much more of a positive look now, the the going green, as it were, the going secondhand. Yeah, I'm saying it's so much more popular. You know, you get swap shops, uh, secondhand shops. Uh, you get, you know, there's lots of teachers now giving up their time to sort out uniform at schools to sell, you know, help the school because obviously financially schools getting hit as well. So there's not much funding around. Um, yeah, it's really popular. I think it's been particular a big change since COVID. I think that was a big wake up call for people here in Britain uh, to, you know, start thinking a bit more about what they buy and how much they buy. And do they really need to, you know, go to Primark, buy a jumper and then it breaks two weeks later and let's go and buy the same jumper again sort of thing. Um, and the problem with uniform, I think, in this country is um, they, they've had to make it affordable. It's been a government push. They've had to make it affordable. But um, as yet, there isn't a way to make it more sustainable. So it's all right. It's all right saying, oh, yeah, we've used um, we've used uh, we've recycled 2000 plastic bottles to make this jumper. But but, but that's not helping it that you're still using plastic to make it sort of thing. And then that jump is still got to go somewhere. Um, yeah. And we need we need a more sustainable uniform, you know, 100 percent cotton, 100 percent organic cotton but then with that comes costs and it you know then parents can't afford it and then they will then go to primar and so it's finding that balance of uh cost but then also sustainable and yeah the thing with these um these kind of plastic uniforms as well is every time you wash it it goes straight into the the water system like seven hundred thousand microplastics every time now i know there are filters available um, like Gulp, there's a new filter that's come out from from Matter. Um, they're they're just releasing a Kickstarter for, but you know these filters cost two hundred and something quid, um, which is brilliant. Like you know, it's it's you know Dyson level technology kind of thing. The guy who created it used to work for Dyson, and it's amazing. But who can afford two hundred quid for a filter? You know who's who's going to pay that? I mean, some people will. But again, it's that sort of level of of level of society almost that can afford to be green. And should it not be something that's just included in every single washing machine? Surely the hit should be taken by, you know, Hot Point or, or whoever it is to stop it going out there. And as the technology is available, why is it not just a part of washing machines nowadays? You know, that's one simple example. Yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, isn't it about time that a big manufacturer decided, right, we're just going to go all out. We might lose, you know, a couple of hundred thousand, but, you know, in the long run, we're going to gain an awful lot. And lots of people, you know, will will then buy our washing machines and we might need to slash the price a bit to make it affordable for everybody. But, you know, what what a great idea. And, you know, that's sort of the way of thinking that manufacturers need to go towards, you know, uh, the, the, the whole circular economy. How can we reuse our washing machines, our dishwashers, our TVs? You know, people are going out and buy, you know ditching their thirty-nine inch TV, and then they're buying a fifty-five. And then you're thinking, like, you know, should we be, um, you know, should, you know, in the long run, are more people going to be renting their their TVs and everything else? Is that is that a, is do you think that's a good way forwards? Well, I mean, 
I, I think I'm I'm pretty happy with the size of my TV. At the moment, but <laughs> I know what you mean, and it's funny because you know Black Friday is coming up, or depending where you live, it may already be upon you. I know here in Spain, November has basically become the month of Black Friday, um, and you'll see people go into the supermarket. And they'll be wheeling out three or four 50-inch TVs because, you know, they're saving so much money on them. And it's like, you're not actually saving any money on them. You're spending money. Who needs three 50-odd-inch TVs? Nobody needs that. Oh, but then I can sell it on in future. You won't make any money out of it, mate. And it's just an unnecessary waste of materials. So, you know, this is a, a mindset that is it's hard to change in adults here in Spain or... or you know, in general, people want more stuff, but it's a brilliant place to start in in our kids, in our students. Um, so I'd like to know what is your what are your top three or four tips to starting your school to being greener? What are your top three? So as you say, there are eco ambassadors in loads of schools that are there to be there. Um, because they have to be. But what would you? What would be your tips to help them? Um, well, obviously, I need you know. I have a group. Uh, I'll do an audit. Do an audit of your school. You know, do an audit of uh, everything that you do. Go walk around. Celebrate the highs. Celebrate the fantastic work you're doing. Because obviously, you'll know. You know, you're doing an awful lot and you probably don't realise it. And it's always nice to just do a walk around your school and celebrate the highs, but then have a look at all the things that you're not doing. And then you can put that into an action plan and have targets throughout the year of what you want to meet sort of thing. Um, and always stick to like one campaign. Don't try and do two or three and spin too many plates. Stick on one and do it 110% all in. Um, and try and choose something that's really going to galvanise the community. Um to get them on board as well, um, then you get lots of support, and you might even get some funding from them too. So the plastic uh, for, for me is is an obvious place yeah. to start. Yeah, um, litter, single use plastic, um, and carry on the campaign, and and don't take no for an answer. If you have a if you have got if you've got a true passion and you solely believe in what you're doing, and you know you want to make your town your school better by reducing the litter, reducing the single use plastic. And people are saying, no, you, you don't take no for an answer. You've got to keep on persevering, keep on, you know, keep on saying those letters, keep on phoning people up. You know, I, I can give a good example um, with uh, we wanted our fruit. Well, our fruit came in these plastic bags and they came in the cardboard box. And for 12 months, back and forth, this is, no, not doing it, not doing it. Okay, do you want to speak to Louis? He's nine years old. He's really passionate about uh, single-use plastic. He doesn't want his marine animals he, that he likes to be like killed. So do you want to speak to him? Louis, off you go. Told the manager what he thought. And then eventually, I think we got to a point where we just wear, weared the manager down. So we got to a point where I'm just sick and tired of it, to be honest. I'm sick and tired of hearing your children phoning me up, uh, writing me letters. You can have your fruit in cardboard boxes. But it took 12 months. But, you know, persevere, yeah. persevere. Exactly. I think this, um, you know, in terms of, of campaigns to start with, I think, you know, plastic is a very obvious campaign to start with. It's something that's around us. It's everywhere. And everybody loves a litter pick. You know, everybody loves a litter pick. It's, it doesn't solve a plastic problem in any way, shape or form. 
But again, it's that mindset thing. And whenever I go on a litter pick, whoever I'm with, I always, you know, I do the, I do the same spiel every time. You know, I pick up a bottle and I say, you know, where did this bottle come from? And the students will be like, oh, well, from Dia, which is a supermarket. I say, yeah, where did it come from before that? And I say, oh, from, from Coca-Cola. Yeah. And where did it come from before that? And then they kind of start looking at you and they're like, I don't know. So, you know, you explain how plastic bottles are made and so on and so forth. And, and then you say, but where's it going to go after this? And they say, where's well, it going to be on the floor? or in the bin. And I was like, okay, and where's it going to go after the bin? Well, I don't know. So you explain it might go to landfill. It might even be down, to, sorry, recycled. Um, so, you know, so you explain that to them and and you you say, well, so it's going to go to landfill, cool. And then, then where's it going to go after that? They just look at you like, I don't know. And you say, well, this is probably going to be around for, you know, 400 plus years. And their face, when they suddenly realise you know, it's very easy for students to realise or, or for people to realise in that short time that the answer isn't to collect it and recycle it. The answer is to not make it in the first place. So, um, yeah, removing and reducing single-use plastics in your school, making your school plastic clever or, or making your school, you know, plastic-free, for me, it's such a, an obvious target to start with. It's much easier than the idea of going net zero. You know, the idea of net zero is, I mean, it's a lovely idea. It's a great idea. Um, and I'm sure on your podcast, you give some wonderful ideas on how to how to achieve it properly. But to me, a lot of it does just sound like, you know, companies, countries, governments, they've got this word and they're like, hmm, net zero or two words, obviously. Uh Let's just keep saying that. If we keep saying net zero 2030 or net zero 2040, then people will think we're doing something. Um, so I think as a first target, obviously, to kind of awaken that passion, plastics is a, a brilliant place to start. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and there's so much you can do with plastics as well within your curriculum, you know, with your maths, you know, you do bit bit sorting. Um you could, you know, and that's just like with a litter pick, you know, you can sort the, the plastics out, the cans, the bottles, everything that you find, uh, do a tanny chart, do a graph, you know, do a bit of a campaign in your community, see if it goes down and then do another little pick two weeks later and, you know, sort of analyse it. Uh, you know, is it working? Do you need to do a bit more? Do you need to go and speak to your town council, your mayor or something and, you know, tell him what for or her what for or what you should be doing? Um yeah, you know, I think uh, litter, litter and single-use plastic is always a good place to start, good place to galvanise a team together, old old and young young people. Yeah, because there's nothing more annoying than walking down the street and say, well, dog crap and litter. They're the two things that you see when you're walking down the street. You think, that's not okay. That's, that's something that's so easy not to do. Like, you don't need to throw that on the floor. Um and yeah, my daughter and I, we do school run litter picks. So every day on the way to school, we, we do a litter pick to clear up. Um, and yeah, at the moment, we're on about 30 pieces a day. Um, but before that, you know, depending on if it's after the weekend or whatever, you know, there, there were times when we got into school and it's a 20 minute walk from our house. There were times we'd get in and we had over 170 pieces of litter on the way to school. And that's not like counting all the cigarette butts there are, because 
obviously cigarette butts are they're like oxygen here they're just everywhere it's all over the place you know it's, there's there's thousands of them littering the streets and and yet things like that are places that we can start these campaigns with our students and and when you have a seven eight nine year old saying you know if you want to smoke fine smoke but come on don't throw it on the floor like is there any need to throw it on the floor no put it somewhere else you know bin your butts or or whatever um so yeah i, I think that's that is brilliant advice to to find your you know after you've done your your audit of what you can do to find that that first campaign especially and to really commit to it to really you know get everyone to get on board of it my my daughter's really trying at her school and, and really struggling because you know teachers have changed year in year out um to get plastic clever school started there now we do have it translated into spanish and we do have it as well but the the head teacher is somewhat resistant um he's very 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 old school for example they have an allotment but there's a water pipe hose pipe ban but he was saying eh it's fine nobody will know if we water the plants it's like you're the head teacher of a primary school you cannot encourage doing those things you need to be you know an example so yeah <laughs> if you have a head teacher like that it makes things fairly tricky but um we will keep going at it we will be persistent as will my daughter um so be persistent have your campaign what else can people do to to have a green school um involve the community Getting a few involved, you know, uh, I, I think lots of schools struggle with uh, support, maybe by funds. Um, and it's, it's good to get, you know, the, your local businesses involved to, you know, go, go to them and and uh, put, put your, your your campaign across, you know, to get them to sponsor it or give some funds towards it sort of thing. I think that's really important. Uh, get your garden centre involved um, here in the UK. Uh, the average age, I think, of garden centres is uh, going up to 65, between 65 and 75 years years of age. People, I mean, they need, well, they want to keep, basically keep it down. So they're happy to give away things for free uh, to schools over here, um, which is great. Uh, so, yeah, involve the community. Uh, really important, you know, to get that whole, you know, togetherness going. Yeah, we uh, at, at my, my daughter's school, they do a lot of good things at my daughter's school, don't get me wrong. Um, but they had their their end of year market thing recently, which there was some brilliant upcycled things in there, you know, some lovely like things that the kids had made that they were selling on. But there was no connection with the community whatsoever, absolutely none. Like the 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 cake table, for example, was just a bunch of pre made things that they'd bought at the supermarket that they were then selling on in plastic wrappers and stuff like that. And I, I would think back to when I was at school which was a while ago um but it was a it was a pain in the backside for parents don't get me wrong but we would make the stuff and we'd make it with our parents and then we'd bring it in and you know we had that whole thing of we had created what was there and yes it's still got sugar in it yes it's still got this that and the other in it but we know what's actually in it we you know it's and it's not covered in plastic and and it kind of upset me that market last year that you know they're trying to raise money for this that and the other but there was no there was no connection it was kind of you're invited in to come in for half an hour to have a look at all the different stalls and you have to buy something there were no games there was no treasure hunt 
There was there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Like you know, the treasure hunt is free money. You don't even have to make anything. You you, you know, you give away a, a packet of sweets or whatever, or, or guess how many sweets there are in a jar, something like that. But there was none. There were none of those initiatives um, within the school. So if they don't have that connection with parents, with you know, people outside the school, how on earth are they going to be able to to push this? I don't want to call it a green agenda because it isn't a green agenda, but push this 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 green way of thinking. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, we, we've done we've done similar things like stores and things, and young enterprise is a huge another huge passion of mine. And and I know we, we won four in a row, four national awards in a row for our uh, for our young enterprise uh, products that are related to um, environmental. Um, things so we had um we made uh uh seed bombs from our recycled paper and we got the local garden center to um to give us the the, the seed uh we also uh made uh uh wax wax tastic no plastic which was um uh cotton material dipped in beeswax we had the local beekeepers donating us the beeswax we had the the parents and the teachers cutting up the material and we had uh, this whole big fail belt going on and then uh, we made Spick and Span, um, which was uh, coconut oil and bicarbonate soda mixed together, which, funny enough, could pretty much do more than we thought it could do. Um, <laughs> after a bit of uh, a bit, bit of experimenting, it could get stains out of anything, clean your oven, your hob, and it could even be an air freshener. And just oh, wow. from all those products together, I think so far we've made about eight thousand pounds, which is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but by getting by teaching the children about uh selling so it, for, for me it's not about them standing behind a table and saying oh yeah do you want to buy something it's getting them out in front and um that's why i i try and get uh, uh car say sales people uh state agents to come and give some tips to the kids about how they can sell their product and then they can then go out and go up to uh, people and feel confident in what they're selling and uh you know raise some good money and we had some great feedback uh last year from from uh, bmw uh who said they came to do a bit of a secret shop and they said they couldn't believe how better our sales children were than their sales people so you know it's great to you know it's great for the children to get such good feedback from people like that that is such a good idea. I mean, I would never encourage somebody to be a car salesperson or an estate agent, but learning from what the way they do things is is definitely uh, it's it's a brilliant idea, um, and it's something again that that kind of goes missing in the curriculum. Um, you know, this idea of young entrepreneurs, or or, or, or as it were, that but this idea of sales. It isn't just about going out there and selling spick and span. It isn't just out out there and, and selling your products but it's about selling yourself as well and having that confidence within yourself that you don't really get taught in school unless there are this kind of initiative you, know, you don't get taught how to to go out there and and as i say yes yeah, sell yourself but but you need that when you get when you try and get a job anywhere you need that or if you're giving a presentation on something you absolutely need to be able to sell yourself and your idea yeah i life skills are so so important you can't really teach them in the classroom there's you know there's nothing that you know really 
you know, jumps out and thinks, oh, yeah, I'm going to learn my life skills sort of thing. And there needs to be like, this entrepreneurship. There needs to be this environmental um, way of life of, te- you know, of, so children can learn about teamwork and, and leading um, and perseverance and using money and finance and how they could, you know, go about setting up their own business sort of thing. And there's nothing. Um, there's, there's nothing at all. And it, it should be it should be. It sh- there should be a law. There should be law in across the curriculum. You know, it, you know, um, you know. I hope that from the children that we've got doing the entrepreneurship, and that you know, that we've got to remember they're there they're five to nine years old. That you know, maybe in 10, 15 years' time, we might see some of them running their own environmental shops or setting up their own business. And I'll think, oh, that all started with, you know thick and span or wax-tastic, no plastic or something like that, that, you know, they wanted to carry on, you know, that passion, you know, into into adulthood. Yeah, and, and it, like, not even adulthood, as you say, like, like into their adolescence, into their, their teenage years, because if they have this at the school they're at now, if they have this at primary school, when they go to secondary school, they'll have the confidence to say, well, where's the where's the entrepreneurship? Where's the where was the sustainability? Where's this? Where's that? Because they will have that confidence because they know that people like yourself will listen to them. So when they go to their next school, they'll think they'll go and they'll find that teacher. They'll find that person who's happy to help them. Maybe they won't go directly to the head teacher. Maybe they won't go straight in there, you know, all guns blazing. But if they have this confidence instilled in them early on then it can help them move on and and make a difference you know in their next school not only for them but for their for their classmates and everybody as well yeah i agree i I totally agree that uh you know we just need to give them that opportunity to to shine and and find their place because there's there's lots of children out there that that don't know what they want to do you know in life and it's just those little things that you give them you give children an opportunity and then suddenly you find out a lot, a lot more about them of what they can do and they, they find their they find their place in society and they think, oh, that's what I want to do. Oh, if I hadn't have done this, then I wouldn't have been able to, you know, to have this opportunity of found a skill that, you know, and a hobby or uh, something that they really enjoy. Well, that's it. They're far too often, you know, kids are, are judged on their, their ability by their exam scores and that's literally all schools have. You know, they've, Great, we're high in the league tables because these kids have got this score. Amazing, our score's brilliant because all of these different, you know, that we feel that we're top of the league table on this column. But you know, then you've got you got Pete who didn't do well in his exams, and everyone thinks, well, Pete's a bit Pete's a bit thick, isn't he? Because he didn't do very well in his exams. But perhaps if Pete had had somebody put their arm around him and you know guide him towards entrepreneurship or something like that you know, maybe he has that spark, you know, maybe that Pete's going to then go on and become a construction magnate. You know, nobody knows like what's going to happen with Pete because, you know, he's, he gets discarded so early on in his in his school career and doesn't have the opportunity to to discover that other passion. And, and far too often kids, particularly primary kids, will just believe that they're stupid because they don't do very well in exams. And there might be a lot of reasons for it. Some people just aren't academic. Um, some people are, 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 I'm going to be careful with my wording here, but are wired differently. I don't want to say it sounds like it bad in any way, but you know, people have 
there is a huge range of neurodiversity in our schools. Now, not everybody's going to be great doing exams. Not everybody's going to be great as a youth entrepreneur. But if they don't have the chance, then they'll never know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, they, they need that. They need that opportunity to thrive in. You know, with as many interests as possible across across the whole curriculum. Um, you know, not just in maths, literacy, but you know all the other you know, foundation subjects uh, that that are on offer. Um, you know, um, not everybody is good at exams, like you said. You know, I wasn't exams. I wasn't. You know, um, I had to you know work really hard just to get get those grades to get to university, sort of thing. So you know, so you could become a teacher, sort of thing. But you know, not everybody is you know, is wired to doing exams and it should be an opportunity, you know, like entrepreneurship or a different way um, to, you know, to get the grades that isn't doing exams, like more practical, you know, some children are better at practical things than someone that's good at exams. You know, there, there should be an opportunity for everybody to shine, um, but be able to shine in their using their own like abilities, whether that is, you know, exams or doing it practical or finding a different way of showing off what they can do. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that we need to scrap exams completely. Um, I think reducing their importance is very important, is important to reduce the importance of exams. Like you say, with, with practical ideas and stuff like that, because I was not, I wasn't bad at exams. I was, I've got a good memory so I could study the day before and do all right in exams. But for me, it was all about the presentations and the coursework. That was where like I came you know, into the fall. If I got to do a presentation for something, it was amazing. I knew for certain I'd be getting an A or however it's graded now. It's changed now, hasn't it? Isn't it numbers now? Numbers, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd be getting a one. Is one good or is nine good? Yeah, yeah. One. One's good? Yeah. Okay, because here in Spain, it's the other way around. Yeah, right here around. in Spain, it's one to <laughs> ten. And ten is really good and one is really bad. So, yeah, like, if I knew it was a presentation, I'd be great. I'd be happy. I could go up there and I could do it. But, you know, if it was an exam, then I knew I'd have to work so much harder to get the grade that I knew I could possibly get. Um, because there weren't these opportunities of, of these, these other opportunities that, we, that you present in your school. Now, just one moment. We're going to shoot off for a couple of minutes. We will be back very, very shortly um, to, to close out the rest of the show. Um, so stick around. We'll be back very soon. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. 
If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, my mouse just got absolutely stuck. It wouldn't move. It had disconnected from the Bluetooth and it didn't want to do anything. So I couldn't unmute myself. So, Ed, if you could unmute yourself again, that'd be brilliant. Um, I was just panicking just for a second there, like trying to make the mouse work frantically. Um, oh, technology, you got to love it sometimes, haven't you? Like, I don't know if it was the Bluetooth that was disconnected or the batteries are dying or what it was. I don't know. I need to recharge my batteries, I guess. Um, but don't we all? Uh, there's another simple thing we can do with our, our students is talk about rechargeable batteries. But then, of course, you know they, that then has its own environmental impacts in the long run. Um, so, hi there, Ed. Welcome back. Bit of panic there. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I had the same problem. I had the same problem yesterday. I was doing a, doing a podcast for somebody else. And um, literally... Two minutes before we went on live, it went down. The whole thing went down. I had to end it up doing doing it via WhatsApp. Like they hold oh, help, wow. yeah, to their microphone. And I was doing it via WhatsApp. Just yeah, nightmare. But technology, isn't it? Just can't you can't trust it. Oh, you you really can't. Um, and there's something about Podbean. Now, I I love I, I love Teachers Talk Radio. It's amazing. Um, it's a great platform. So many wonderful teachers on here. Um, but. Podbean has a mind of its own. So today, as you saw, my audios have worked beautifully. You know, they've worked fine. <laughs> Last week, I did exactly the same thing and they didn't work. And my another host, Jane, was on this morning and her guest just couldn't join. And it was just like, what is happening to the world? Um, so, yeah, Podbean can be a little bit of a uh, it can be interesting to play with anyway. Let's uh, let's just put it that way. Um so we were talking about um, doing different things in school, basically. So, you know, you, you talked about the the entrepreneurship that you've you've got involved in, and um, well, you've more than got involved in. You you know you your students have got involved in. Um, how long has that? You said you've won an award for the last four years, but how long has that been running? Uh, so. You, uh, yeah, probably about four or five years. Yeah, I, I started it four or five years ago. Uh, but nationally, it's been going for about uh, that certain competition has been going for about uh, 10, 12 years. It's called the uh, the Fiverr Challenge. And basically within your team, uh, you, you give, you loan, you borrow five pounds for each pupil that's in your team and then that is the money that you start your business with and then you've got to pay that money back and 10 percent from a profit that you make and there's also a great a idea challenge for yeah there's a tenor, there's a tenor challenge for older children uh, over the age of 11. oh wow that's that's a really cool idea like i, I really like the the idea behind it I, you know i'm not a huge fan of economic growth um <laughs> But I do think it's important that the students have this opportunity to do it. Um, and so you started four or five years ago. Now, I imagine some of the students that did it in the first year have have spread their wings, so to say. Um, or does your school continue into secondary as well? Or is it only primary? 
Yeah, it's only primary. So we stop at nine years old and then they go to, it's the old fashioned, it goes to middle school and then high school. Oh, okay. I, I did that. I did the middle school and then high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I left in year four. Ah, I didn't know anywhere did that anymore. Huh. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think we're like, I think we're holding on. I think we're like one of the last, uh, last councils to hold on to the, the old fashioned uh, uh, first school, middle school, high school sort of thing. Yeah, I know my, my old schools have, have very much changed. The whole system's changed in Northampton, where I'm from. So it is now um, second, lower, primary and secondary. That's what we call it, isn't it? Um, so there are some of your students that I, I don't know how big your town is. I don't know if you've, uh, you've bumped into any of them since they've, since they've, they've spread their wings um, and if you've managed to connect with them again. Um, I'd be really interested to know, you know how they feel about how that shaped them um yeah so i'm in contact with quite a lot of them uh, their parents email me all the time saying you know what can their what can their child be doing you know in the environmental world to you know uh to do a campaign or something because at their school you know they're not really interested uh the teachers sadly don't want to carry it on there's other there's other more important things they feel like we've talked about earlier, grades and statistics and things oh, like that. Grades, absolutely. See, the thing is with middle school as well, there's, I'm sorry to, to any middle school teachers, uh, middle school is, is a wonderful time to be a teacher because there's no high pressure exams. You know, okay, maybe there's the year six SATs. I don't know if they still exist, but, you know, there's no, there's no, GCSEs and A-levels are important. You know, they're important exams that you need to do well in. But before that, not really. Now, lower school, you're forming your students. Middle school to me seems like a bit of a free hit. So it's a great place to kind of have these these ideas and these these entrepreneurial ideas, as it were. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, they've got a great opportunity because we're setting the foundations in the first schools. We're like literally doing the hard graft and then we're setting it up for them to carry it on. And there's only sadly at the moment, a small pot of children that are carrying it on. And one great, one great person, uh, perhaps you should have on your show, maybe. Um, her name's Isla Lester. She's 11 years old. Uh, she's really passionate. Uh, she's been a, uh, a campaign tech rural England ambassador. She's got her own little radio show in Australia going on. Um, she's sort of uh, famous across the town for what she does. Uh, she's yeah, she just uh, she's in with um, uh, Ocean Generation uh, with mm -hmm. Joe Roxon and and Planet uh, the uh, Blue Planet uh, director and producer. Um, yeah, she's won a few awards as well herself, and she, you'll see her out litter picking uh, after school weekends during the holidays. Uh, and she's just she's just really passionate about um, protecting the environment and making a making it a better better for you know for her brother for for her uh, next generation sort of thing. Uh, she's just so knowledgeable. It is great that someone like that. She went from. I taught her in reception, so she was like four or five years old, and she was quiet. She was really timid, really quiet, and to think now she's this really spoken, grown up. I know she's eleven year old, eleven years old, going on about forty five, to be honest. Um, just really passionate about uh, wanting to save, you know, save the world, and and she's getting other other children to sort of join her. Uh, she writes her own blogs.
um, every month as well. I've got her own little blog uh, site that she writes oh, for. Amazing. Um, so yeah, just 11 years old and she's doing wonderful things. That is uh, that is incredible. And you know, you, we, we mentioned Amy and Ella Meek earlier um, because when they have that seed planted with somebody like yourself or, or with their parents and they have the support network around them, kids can do absolutely incredible things like absolutely incredible things like mind-blowingly wonderful things like kids can do because they have that passion and and when you talk about them learning as well they learn from each other you know i i can sit here and talk to my daughter about a thousand things like all day long she won't she won't she won't hear it from me but the minute she's in a conversation with uh, the cap connect with the cap club suddenly you know it becomes a lot more real if you know what i mean so yes it's it's important for us to to make that start and to encourage our, our students to to be more mindful of the planet but it's them that really carry it on from there yeah totally agree totally agree and you know setting those platforms and giving those opportunities you know and then for them to go to then middle school, high school, that really pushes it on to then to think, you know, do I want to save the environment? Do I want to go and kick a football around the playing field? What's more important to myself? And from what I found through the children that I've taught about the environment and through the campaigns that they've led, most of them, I would say most of them have gone on to do other things um, within the town, within, you know, youth groups or youth parliament is a quite a popular thing um, in our town uh in it well in the in england uk uh you know that's a good stepping stone to want to become part of the government what you know and they actually get to go to the house of commons they actually do their debates in the house of commons and what a great opportunity that is to think that possibly in 20 years time years time maybe that they might be actually representing their constituency um in the government wouldn't it be amazing if those opportunities had been available to you know, to us as youngsters, you know, I remember I had like a debate club and stuff like that. And, and we went to Paris and we had a debate thing there. And we had, there was a, there was a youth parliament over in Paris that I went to when I was 18, but like, it was basically, we went there to listen to old people talk to us about how we should do things. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't us putting our ideas on the table. It's wonderful to see now that there are so many more people with a platform who are able to share these ideas. Um, what worries me is that, yeah, it will be 20, 30 years until these people are the decision makers. And what we really need now are the decision makers to be listening to these people, you know, to, because I, I, I love listening to, to young people who are passionate about something and I love learning from them as an educator. Yes, we want to help people, but we also want to learn ourselves and being able to, to kind of sit back and you know, see these empowered learners that we've, we've helped to who then come and teach us. For me, that is, that's the icing on the cake. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I agree again. And, you know, we've, it's just so frustrating at the moment, isn't it? We're, we're, at, we're at COP27 and we haven't learned anything from COP26, to be honest. Nothing's actually, nothing's happened. We're just going around in circles. We get to COP28 and there'll still be nothing happening. Uh, we're which is in Dubai, isn't it? COP twenty. Yeah, we're in Dubai. Yeah, we're you know we're going from Egypt to Dubai. You know, you're thinking. I think a few backhanders have gone. 
gone awry here, surely. Well, yeah. You know, Looking he, at COP27 sponsored by Coca-Cola, the biggest polluters on the planet. Like, it, it, it makes a mockery of what it is. You know, it is a cop-out. You know, I'm sorry. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I know there was a huge buzz about it last year because it was in the UK, I guess. And, you know, I follow a lot of UK news and stuff. Um, but this year it's kind of... It's gone very much under the radar. And the sad fact is it it's not going to achieve much. It has such a wonderful opportunity to achieve so much. But what does it achieve? It achieves hundreds of dignitaries arriving on private jets, destroying the atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. I agree again. You know, it's just it just seems to be they see there needs to be a better way of doing this, surely. And they get, you know, they wheel out the same young people very passionate, you know, I can understand why Greta Thunberg couldn't be bothered to turn up because of uh, obviously the sponsorship and let alone getting there because she doesn't fly, she doesn't fly anymore um, to save her carbon footprint. But, you know, there must be a better way to try and get more countries and then governments involved and, you know, they need to be held to account, surely, because we're going through all this rigmarole of, oh, yeah, we'll get it by 2030 and then that'll get pushed on to 2040, 2050, 2016. We all know that something needs to happen. So why can't we just do something? Why can't something happen right now? Why can't we just say, right, we're going to have electric cars by 2025, you know, and make that, you know, set in stone everyone's got to do it and just you know you, you, you've probably done but it just this seems ridiculous yeah it's so so many of these like so as we call, you know it's called cop which it makes it so easy to call it a cop out you know because they've literally put the name there for us um and yet you look back to 2015 in paris when they had the paris accord and they came up with the sustainable development goals and you know, they were put out there and everyone's like, oh, these are brilliant. But nobody really paid any attention to them until about three years ago, when now like, a lot of the publishers that I work for and stuff, they they always like, they want to make sure there's an SDG in each unit. And it's like the, the SDGs, now don't get me wrong, I think it was a great idea, but they're not being taken seriously by those in power. I think they're a wonderful framework for education. I think it's a brilliant way to empower our students, to, to get our students to know the issues in the world. The problem with the SDGs is those who are trying to implement them are not trying to implement them, basically. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I agree. You know, the businesses, it's, it's like a tick box. It's like a jumping through a hoop. We've got to have it on our website. We've got to you know, shout about what which ones we're ticking and what we're doing for it. But it's just like a big tick box. Whereas in a school, it goes so well. It goes so well with, um, you know, the environment, uh, the school values, the whole ethos. I know at our school we do um, we do pledges. So each 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 uh, each term uh, through the curriculum learning that we're doing, it's nothing extra. Each class within the school has to make a pledge about. Uh, uh, helping people, animals, and the environment, and they've got to relate that to the disabled development goals, um, and they've got to stand up an assembly and tell everybody what their what their uh, their pledge is for the term, and then at the end they've got to show everybody what they did for their pledge and uh, what they achieved and what went right, what went wrong, and then there's like a bit of a vote to see who made the biggest impact on the school, but also the community, and then the winner gets like a 
an environmental talk or a workshop or gets a trip out um to to sell related to the, the like the, the topic that they 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 they're doing yeah I, and yeah as i say it's it's something to me that it is such it's, it's incredible for education it's a wonderful framework for education particularly for you know you look at the gender equality and stuff like that and you look for these goals in there it's a great way of raising students awareness about these topics but yeah the issue i have with them is those trying to put them into place <laughs> and it it just becomes very frustrating yeah it definitely does definitely does and it you know i think if they're going to be used properly then they need to be the business need to be held to account there needs to be like a structure of like what they're you know there needs to be evidence of what they're ticking off um and the evidence needs to go to an organization or something that keeps tabs on what they're doing um and then there's you know like a gold emblem or something that who you know has got every single one within their business rather than people just making up ridiculous things that they're they're supposedly doing but they're obviously not doing yeah just they need to stand up in assembly they need yeah. to stand yeah. up in assembly say what they're going to do and at the end have everyone look at them and go did you actually do that or did you mm. just like say it as a lie mm. um mm. right then uh ed it has been wonderful speaking to you. Um, I feel I've learned a fair bit already. Um, and I'm going to continue to to follow you. And I, I am going to go and uh, bookmark your your podcast as well. So um, that's going to be that's going to be my listening. Uh, and I will get back in touch with uh, with Nexus as well, because you've reminded me that we did want to have them here on um, on Teachers Talk Radio. We did want to have them just to, to show the great things that they do. Um, and they do they are doing really great things within an industry where it's difficult to do good things. You know, the, the stationary industry is not renowned for its uh, sustainability. No, it's not. No, and to have a fantastic product, you know, like they've invented it, no one else has come up with, not even like the, those big manufacturer glue stick uh, brands uh, that German make um you know they haven't even come up with it let alone thought about stealing the idea um so <laughs> it has been wonderful and yeah as i say i will be listening more to you in future um i am so i'm going to say thank you and i'm going to say goodbye um it's been a pleasure having you on no cheers harry no thanks thanks for the opportunity i've really enjoyed the chat and um i'll be listening to you to your podcast from now on now i know that um what you do and what you say yeah really really exciting really really interesting so thank you it's been it's been super fun to have you on and yeah i it's been an absolute pleasure and i will continue to stalk you on on linkedin i mean follow you on linkedin definitely not stalk um so thank you so much i'm going to be away next week i believe um but i will be back on the 23rd um so thank you very much everybody for listening and uh i'll see you in a couple of weeks You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio 